From Central Texas, it's the Best of the Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Vaughn Warnke, author, speaker, blogger, outdoor writer, and videographer, and of course, podcaster as well. I'm really excited that you joined us today, whether you are streaming this show online or whether you've downloaded it onto your mobile device. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. If it's your first time for the show, uh, to check out the podcast, please tell a friend if you like what you hear. And if you're a returning listener, please um, rate this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or however you found us. Um, that would help us uh, spread the word about the show, and we'd really appreciate it. Well, it's been a few weeks since we've had a podcast, and I apologize for that. Had a lot going on lately, and so have my guests on the show, like Bill and Mac and Marty and those kind of folks. Um, I also invested a little bit into the show and to some of the podcasting equipment that I use. Up until this point, I had been using my smartphone, my iPhone. And a lot of podcasters use iPhones and, and uh, droids for podcasting and do all their podcasts on, on a mobile device. I know of several podcasters that do that. And the, the quality was good. I had a couple of apps that I, um, that I used for taping phone calls. I had a couple of apps that I used for recording my voice to kind of do the intros and the outros for the show. And that worked well for a while, but I wanted to kind of get a professional touch, and it dawned on me one day when I um, I recently switched jobs a few months ago and uh, had a lot of leftover equipment from school assemblies that I did for years and had a mixer, had a powered amplified speaker um, and I had uh, a, a microphone and some cables and wires and cables and wires and wires and cables and I decided to uh, press those into service as podcasting since I don't do school assemblies anymore and uh, everything has worked out very well. I invested in a new microphone and a new cable and a new um, mic stand so I can have guests in studio. And I kind of turned my office into a podcast studio. It's worked out very well. So I'm really excited about um, this. I hope you can kind of hear the difference in quality and, um, and that it's even a better listening experience for you. And I want to thank you so much for uh, tuning in and checking us out. So today we're going to talk about urban bow hunting, and I authored a book, an ebook that you can buy on Amazon Kindle or Google Play or on my website at DustinsProjects.com, and the book is titled Urban Bow Hunting: The Guide to Hunting Small Properties for Big Game. And this is a relatively short ebook; it's the shortest ebook that I've authored, and um, it's it's jam packed full of information. It's only it's less than fifty pages of uh, full eight and a half by 11 pages of uh, content, a lot of pictures and a lot of, um, a lot of content there that's just jam-packed of good stuff. And I think you uh, would enjoy the ebook if you um, were to purchase a copy. It's only $9.95 and um, it's just a, a guide to hunting deer especially. And you can hunt wild hogs in urban environments and small game in urban environments. But we talk about big game mainly because uh, it's kind of a trend now lately to hunt um, urban properties for big game. And that's something I kind of wanted to bring to light on this show today. Um, I invited a friend of mine, Michael Foster, to come into the studio and do a podcast with me because I turned Michael on to urban bow hunting a little bit over a year ago. And uh, Michael has had the experience of hunting with me, of being introduced to urban bow hunting, and I thought he would be a perfect guest to have on the show. Uh, Michael's originally from Michigan, 
And he's a great guy. He's a great friend. Uh, him and I have done a lot of work together when it comes to, um, uh, you know, clearing land and, and hauling lumber and that kind of stuff for uh, the landowner that we helped for this urban hotspot that I uh, have hunted for many years. And uh, I'm really excited about this interview with Michael Foster. So, Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Would you like to tell our audience how you first met me and how you got into this subject of urban bow hunting? Sure. I started out uh, with my, I was watching uh, TV and I saw a uh, bone collector, uh, T-Bone, uh, Travis Turner. He was uh, doing an urban bow hunt up there in New England somewhere and uh, went and told my boss about it. And my boss said, uh, have you ever seen that show uh, Chasing Tail? And I said, uh, no, I haven't. He said, well, get on the History Channel and look it up. I forgot it was on the History Channel. And uh, I looked it up and I watched it and I got a little bit more curious into it. So I hopped on YouTube <laughs> and uh, when I hopped on YouTube, I looked up a bunch of videos and one happened to be in Brushy Creek that was right down the street from me. So I started watching the videos and that's where I met you. <laughs> we met on Facebook, right? Yeah. And then I, and then uh, I added you on Facebook and uh, and then that's when our relationship as friendship started yeah no that's great that was about a year ago right yeah <laughs> so. that's awesome so you had your first experiences with urban bow hunting starting this year uh tell us how that went on our hunts together well uh you started out you uh started taking me down there you showed me the spot we fed a little bit uh hauled some firewood and and helped out the lady and uh the landowner right and uh checking cameras and uh, as we got into the season i was able to harvest my uh first urban deer uh that doe and on opening day and shortly after that you got to harvest mr big and <laughs> and then uh we went back out in november and i got to harvest a second one and and uh and then you harvest another doe and it was just a, a good experience all the way around i mean right uh learned a lot uh with it you know what to do what not to do uh what to expect what not to expect and Overall, it was just a it was just an awesome experience and kind of a a cross off my bucket list. Oh, cool! So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, one of our first hunts together. It was really hot, and we've got all these up on our YouTube channel. Uh, if you search me on YouTube, I've got Michael Foster's um, bow hunts um, done separately from my other videos, so you can watch and see his experience with urban bow hunting. But yeah, we had a lot of fun doing that. Um, so. You went on to get your own hunting spot after this, and part of that was in into reading the ebook that I wrote. In fact, Michael was one of the first people that read the ebook that I wrote on urban bow hunting. Um, tell us how that went. Uh, I was just basically on Facebook uh, as usual, and uh, I was uh, just scoping out through the groups and uh, uh, talking to a, a lady on there, and. Uh, we started talking and she added me on Facebook and invited me out to her property after we've had a conversation and got to know each other. And I drove myself out there and I introduced myself and, uh, and I got to hunt a little bit out there last year with, you know, during the gun season. And I had a couple of opportunities didn't really connect. And, uh, you know, I've been invited out there this year. I got to, she invited me out there. I got to do a turkey hunt in the spring, got a, a, a Jake out there and, uh, and uh been doing some squirrels and uh shooting some rabbits and with your shotgun right yes yeah and uh you know uh had that little uh that little 
air of with my shotgun that had the the piece of bark in the spring and had to get that fixed but now it's mm-hmm. fixed it should be ready to go for the dove season uh, great so. great and dove season's right around the corner here in the summer of texas so um which starts what september 1st september 1st i'm looking forward to it that's great once dove season gets here it all starts over again right yeah it's just a never-ending cycle in texas <laughs> there's so much you can do in texas as far as hunting goes uh which is really cool um so walk through with me the basic things that you can expect in urban hunting and i've had this talk with with a lot of guys uh that come through my my uh work and uh mostly vendors and I tell them that I urban hunt, and the the first thing that they think of is that these deer are pets. Right, right. I hear that a lot. That's the first thing that comes to their mind, and I'm here to tell you that they are not pets. They are used to humans, but not the way that you would think. They're used to, right. they're used to their scent. They're just, uh, if they see a human, they're they're gonna bolt just like any other whitetail would. But uh, no, uh, you gotta you gotta kill that that stereotype. They are not in any way shape or form humans right so or easier to hunt because they're yeah, urban exactly in an, an urban urban uh urban environment now that's very true and the thing that i have found is you know a set of products that i use on every hunt um michael had an opportunity to experience this this year with me and and that was what are the three products that i use in the field big time or i guess four products now uh barnet crossbows, barnet crossbows uh, right? grim reaper broadheads I know the Luminoc uh, Aerotip Switcher is actually really cool. I got to try those out, and mm-hmm. you you know you get to watch that arrow directly hit where you want to, and or where you where you see it hit, and and uh, it's easy to find too. And you get to find it after the hunt. Um, we're hunting into a creek and kind of a creek bed area, uh, a, um, a creek valley kind of with a creek running through it, and um, you can see this on my videos. Uh, most of the time when I'm shooting it, I've kind of moved that direction because of the situation of wanting to catch a good shot. When you're taking the shot, um, your arrow normally goes into the creek, and what I found was Luminox are pretty waterproof. Because <laughs> yeah. that's every time we, you and I got one this year, those, those Luminox kept on blinking. You can find your arrow afterwards. Yeah, and I really like that because arrows are not cheap. Uh, yes. Bolts are not cheap, so you definitely really want to get that back. Right. And one of the uh, bolts I've started using, I was using Lumen Arrows for a while, but recently uh, connected with Gold Tip, and I'm now using Gold Tip Laser 3 bolts, which have been phenomenal. They're a very strong bolt and uh, very, very, um, very pleased with those. And Grim Reaper Broadheads. A lot of people ask me about the gear that I use. Um, Grim Reaper is a brand that I choose because it works over and over and over again. Um, you know, with urban hunting, you don't want a deer to run far. You don't want a deer to, um, you want to have a quick, clean recovery. And Grim Reaper has done that for me over and over again. Tell them about your experience. And yeah, you get a lot of people that are, uh, that talk about rages. They talk about muzzies. They talk about swacker. I think they're called, right. uh, but you know, they're the real deal. I got to watch both my deer probably run about 30 yards, no track job. And the hole that was in the deer was just phenomenal. I mean, you don't want too big of a hole that'll ruin the meat, but you right. want, you want one that'll make an ethical kill. Yes, absolutely. One of the things I believe is using a three-blade broadhead versus a two-blade because you get a better blood trail if you have to track a deer with a three-blade. You get a bigger hole than just a two-blade. You know, going through it. I write about that in my ebook, um, Urban Bow Hunting. I believe in a three-blade, regardless of what you choose, if it's fixed or if it's mechanical and so on and so forth. Just because of the situation of you want to be able to track that deer in two-blade just doesn't do it for me. That's just my whole thing. You have any thoughts about that, Michael? The three-blade, I could see the extra uh, 
the extra cutting and you know just getting into the vital areas and really right. doing some damage and making a clean ethical kill right clean ethical kill is what it's all about especially with urban bow hunting what are some of the things what are some of the challenges that we face as urban bow hunters well one you're 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 facing the deer you know right the deer's got its nose it's got its eyes and it's got its ears uh another one is uh the people you hunt around uh humans in general you got people out there that want the deer removed you got people who uh want the deer to stay you know deer are especially urban deer are very destructive and uh uh you know they deer populate uh they they uh, wreck the landscape uh you know destroying people's flower beds they multiply i mean a deer can have you know one two fawns per spring right they multiply quickly and that causes for disease and uh you know and uh automobile accidents is really high in suburban areas that are that have uh, really high deer populations and uh yeah so i mean yeah. there's the list goes on i mean and some of the challenges that um and i'm going to soon have aj DeRosa on the show uh he is the author of the urban deer complex which is a book that michael and i both read about urban bow hunting in the northeast and a lot of what he says is true for um for you know texas and, and any other place in the united states or, or wherever you're listening to this one of the things that you run into is human interaction and having to have permission from landowners if you are in um you know a private subdivision because the thing i forgot to mention at the beginning of this is texas is 93 percent privately owned for the most part 90 around 97 percent privately owned and three uh, percent of public land, you know. And Michael's been hunting a lot of public land, and uh, but the thing is, and we'll get to that in just a second. The thing with hunting in urban areas that are privately owned is you have to have landowners permission and be very professional. And I write about that a lot in my ebook about being very professional in how you approach a situation. Cause you do have a lot of anti hunters out there and folks that don't want you there. Um, you know, I've been running into that at the uh, urban hotspot that I've been, that we've been going to this last year because we have neighbors that, you know, only want you to hunt during a certain time of day and so on and so forth. So there are lots of challenges, even though it can be a lot more affordable uh, to hunt that way. The main purpose of, you know, when you go down there is to be as stealthy as possible. You know, if you do get access to a property, uh, you don't want the neighbors knowing that you're you're necessarily there because they might not want you there. Right. You know, that's one of the, the biggest things is not to make yourself out there to the whole community. Right. You know, you want to. You want to be kind of stealthy. You want to restrict yourself to that little area and make sure that that group of people knows that you're there. Yes. Not the whole subdivision. Yes, exactly. And one of the things that I do, and I talk about this in the ebook as well, is, you know, go knock on some doors before season starts, let them know what I'm doing why I'm there, you know, that this is to help the ecosystem and, you know, that I'm not a threat to them or their property. And uh, 90% of the time I get permission from landowners. My game warden and I have a good close relationship. And he's told me if you ever have an issue with um, here in Texas with folks, you know, telling you you shouldn't be there or not letting you access a property to retrieve your deer, so on and so forth, call him because, you know, he can he can help you resolve some of those issues. So having a good relationship with your game warden is crucial, in my humble opinion. Yeah, game warden's a good tool. Yes, because you want to be on the up and up of what um, – what he's doing and um, and that he knows what you're doing and so on and so forth. But, you know, 
be stealthy in the regard of not going into a situation, you know, um, without people knowing that you're there. Cause that you can get into trespassing and all that other stuff. But as long as you have the blessing of the landowners in the area, uh, I've not had any issues retrieving any deer and I've shot dozens of them. Michael can tell you, he's watched all of my videos. I think you've watched all of my videos just yeah. about, yeah, you've watched a lot of videos that I've done. Um, so, and we even have two videos, like I say on YouTube of his hunts, so you can see and kind of watch the, um, the, uh, what we do and, and how we hunt. And we're so close to civilization, aren't we? Yeah. Hunting down there. Uh, the Northwest Austin area has really grown. In fact, the whole Austin area is growing. Uh, I mean, I've watched, uh, towns like cedar park and georgetown and uh round rock and uh these are the north austin suburbs we're talking about northwest yeah, austin suburbs they, it just seems like they've grown overnight i mean they put roads up overnight subdivisions right. up overnight it seems like you know it's just it's really growing down here big time yeah and we're close to what a regional park uh playground a um a road right up the road from the creek right up the creek is a road um and uh, you can see all that on my videos there's traffic passing by you know across the creek and, and up the road uh from us which is uh kind of cool that we're hunting deer that close to civilization but it's completely legal we have the game warden's blessing um he knows where we are what we're doing and that's why i think you really need to have the game warden on your side how did you, you kind of told me a minute ago about how you uh, approached the landowner. How do you kind of do that from a cold setting? Do you just, you know, network with people? Cause that's what I've done. That, yeah. Networking's a big deal. You got to know somebody you got to, you know, uh, networking is your biggest tool for anything, whether it be a job or hunting or, right. or anything is, yeah, you just got to get out there and talk to people. Uh, I get really nervous and shy around people that, that, uh, that I don't know. So right. that, that's a, you've know that firsthand. I'm just yeah. kind of like, my, you've come out of your shell quite a bit over the last year. <laughs> yeah. My, 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 my son's just like his dad, you know, it's, you know, just hard to talk to people, but yeah, you got to come out of your shell and you gotta, you gotta know people and you gotta, you know, just network it. Right. That's perfect. So that, that, I think that's the biggest subject is just networking. You, you know, you, you know, a friend, you talk to another friend, he knows a friend, he knows a friend, you know, it's just, that's just the way you work it. Don't be afraid of asking for permission to hunt, you know, um, especially when it comes to private property. And also you can access property like uh, in the public hunting realm, we have Granger, which is a property, Granger Lake area, a wildlife management area. Is that right? WMA um, that uh, Michael uh, hunts for small game and that kind of stuff out there. And um, you have the opportunity in a lot of municipalities, especially in the Northeast and places in the Midwest where you can hunt in all kinds of different fields. And, uh, and there's, you know, 50 acre plots here and so on and so forth that you can hunt by just asking for permission. But there's also in some um, states, I know there's urban bow hunting season, there's urban seasons for uh, bow hunting. So there's a lot of opportunities there. You just have to know where to look for them. I kind of stumbled into it when I started because I was hunting a five acre property that was, um, that was owned by a church, uh, member that, uh, the church that I went to at the time. And I just asked them for permission to come out and bring my crossbow and, you know, set up my own feeder, set up my own blind. And, uh, that, that place produced, you know, a few deer for me over the years. Uh, you just have to be able to, to kind of network and be, you know, be in the right place at the right time to find places to hunt, especially here in Texas where we have the private land, you know, where we do. So, um, that's definitely a consideration as well. What's the best hunting setup for an urban situation? Would you see from hunting for me? Would you say? 
I, I'm a I'm a ground blind blind person. Uh, I am too. <laughs> uh, just because I like ground blinds. Uh, nothing against people that that hunt from a tree stand. Right. Uh, but uh, just my preference. I like I like hunting from a ground blind. I've always have. I'm glad you did because that's what I hunt out of is a ground blind. Yeah. So when you came as a guest to hunt with me on video, I was happy that uh, it's a little easier to film from a ground blind too. That's why I haven't filmed a lot of elevated stuff unless I'm in a you know. Uh, uh, a stand, you know, a deer stand or a, um, you know, hog hunting scenario or whatever, where I'm elevated off the ground, you know, um, it's just a little bit easier for me to film my hunts that way, but it's safer too. Absolutely. There's more of a challenge though, right? Yeah. Cause you're right there in the deer's nose. I mean, you I mean, and his eyes. Yeah. And his eyes. So, I mean, they see just a little peep of light or just a little mm-hmm. movement or anything. And that, that doe is that boss doe. She's going to, she's going to give you away. Right, and that's happened to us before, hasn't it? Actually, it has. We had probably about, I don't know, maybe seven or eight deer sitting in front of us. We were just watching them crunch on corn. Morning hunt, right? Yeah, it was a morning hunt. Morning hunt, hunt. And uh, I believe uh, there was a doe that was on my side or a little button buck, and uh, he and I ended up saying something to you or you said something to me. We and, whispered. It was and, really close. And, and he heard us and just bolted, and he yeah. just cleared the whole field. Yep, blew and blew and went, blow and go. So that happens when they wheeze at you, it's kind of all over. That's kind of the warning sign that they give out. And that's frustrating. But the one way that I always suggest that you dress in a ground blind with a black background is what? Black. Dress in black. Black I call it ninja style. Um, And this is just, that's just kind of the way that I hunt is from a ground blind with a crossbow. Um, Or, you know, this year I'll try it from a tripod with a a compound bow in another spot that I'm going to hunt. But, um... You know, dress like a ninja. You don't have to camo up, but you do want to be concerned about scent. You do want to be concerned about, you know, sight, having face cover. Michael and I on our videos both have face covers on. Or some of you guys like camo paint and want to, you know, paint war paint on your face. That's fine, too. Um, but just being, you know, stealthy and uh, and both, you know, so the deer don't see you. And that way it's not suspicious to the people that are around you either, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's a big thing. Uh, camo... Uh... I don't want to get too political into it, but camo is a little to me is overrated. I wore it, in, <laughs> I wore it inside the uh, inside the blind because that's really all I had. Right, was a bunch of mis- mismatched camo, and uh, you looked fine. And, <laughs> you uh, looked I good, mean, but you know, honestly, we're not out there to impress the deer. We're right, out, we're out there to put them in the freezer. So, uh, but yeah, black is all you really need. In fact, you know, you go back into the early days. You know, especially up in the Midwest, they were plaid. Right, you know. So, I mean, you know, a lot of these. Uh, you know, major companies like Realtree and Mossy Oak, Mossy Oak, nothing against them, but you know, I, I own Realtree and Mossy Oak. Sure. I do too. But it's, uh, you know, it, they're just, they're trying to, out, they're out there to make a buck. You know, right. they're just like any other company, but realistically, you know, you don't have to wear a camel unless you're, you know, in a tree stand or, you know, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you're in a ground blind, you could probably go out there and, you know, just a black sweatshirt and blue jeans, you know, uh, as long as as long as you're uh, pretty well concealed and your and your uh, ground blinds uh, dark enough, you know mm-hmm. where they can't see you, you're, you should do fine. You want to blend in with whatever you're doing, and if you've got a black background, you want to dress in black. You know that's the whole idea there. Another thing is that AJ DeRosa talks about in his Urban Deer Complex book is to dress like what? Do you remember this from the book? I don't remember. Dress that. like you normally dress. Yes. When you're around the deer, when you're going to fill up a feeder like we do here in Texas or um, you're going to freshen up a food plot or anything like that, 
you don't have to camo up completely to do that because deer are used to seeing in an urban scenario they're used to seeing people in normal clothes and one thing that aj even suggests is to hunt and uh, if you're doing any still hunting or stalk hunting you might want to even dress in the clothes that you normally wear he's had experience as he says in the book where he's had other um whereas he's he's um he's seen a guy running on the trail you know and the deer doesn't even spook and he dresses in regular clothes and, and does sees a lot more deer and does a lot better because he dresses in normal you know clothes what the deer are used to seeing and we and we've done that too we've, yes we've walked down there plenty of times in our clothes in fact we've walked down there in the morning and there's already deer already down there and yeah that's and, true and they busted us and uh you know they're gonna snort and they're gonna you know do their thing and they'll come back right so one of my videos is uh the one on mr big that was my big buck from this year and it's my biggest urban archery deer and my biggest archery deer to, to date um it basically is uh is a really nice deer michael and i watched this deer on camera for uh i don't know a couple of months august uh september, september. and then you got them in early october early october yeah. early october yeah so, you know, basically with Mr. Big, he was a nine point, uh, about 120 class deer. And for us down there, because there's, there's another thing that needs to be said about urban properties sometimes is they get overpopulated and the deer get stunted in growth. Yeah. Um, that's what we saw with the two deer that we harvested. You'll see them on film if you watch our videos and, uh, they both are kind of smallish, you know, even though they're about two year old does, just because you get so many deer, you get so much inbreeding, you get so, you know, so much of that kind of stuff. They, they kind of stunt in their growth and that's just kind of the way they are. But we watched this buck for a while and it was early season. We had already filmed our first hunt with, uh, with Michael Foster the previous weekend. I came down there Friday afternoon. Uh, the deer were already down there. I lost my chance. It just, it was awful. Uh, put out some corn, got back in my blind and didn't hear anything or see anything for the rest of the night. I went down there Saturday and uh, I had just come from a school event where I was dressed in my work clothes, which is, you know, button down shirt, long sleeve shirt, slack, so on and so forth. And um, I did not know what to what to do because the deer had already come through and cleaned up the corn. The, the feeder had already gone off. It was it was late in the day. It was like 630. So I went ahead and put out a little bit more corn and waited in my blind. And guess who showed up? Mr. <laughs> Mr. Big. Big. And, um, you know, I made a clean shot on him. He ran less than 50 yards. Um, you've got the video on YouTube. You can watch it. It's a cool little story, but Mr. Big was a true trophy for me because he was the nicest urban deer I had taken. And you can see in my office, Michael, I've got some other deer that I've taken in urban, urban scenarios, but he was among the finest and a good specimen of a deer. And part of that I think is good management of an urban property that I had hunted there for, you know, four or five years before I harvested him was because I was taking out spikes. I was taking out management deer and so on and so forth. And that's what happens with any property is if you manage it correctly, even in an urban situation, good things happen. Yeah. A lot of people want to go out there and just uh, hop in a stand or a blind and harvest the biggest thing that they right. can find. And you got to do your work. You got to do your, your you know, you got to do your uh, quality deer management and you got to harvest those does. You got to harvest those spikes and uh, I call them freaks, you know, the deer that, that have uh, one one horn, uh, one spike on one side and yeah. and three points on the other side. Right, you gotta you gotta call them out of there and and uh, the smaller eight points, you know, that are four and a half years old and uh, you know they got about thirteen inches or mm -hmm. something like that. I think is the legal. You got to take them out of there and 
uh, yeah, it's, it's, you just got to do your quality to your management. And you've done a lot of that down there. Ex- yes. Especially I went down there and, uh, I got to see firsthand. I got to see deer that Dustin probably wouldn't have seen, you know, when he first started hunting down there. Right. So the thinning out the herd in an urban situation is important. And it's something that I'd like to bring, you know, a call to action for our listeners is to go out and, you know, try urban hunting, um, you know, find an area, network with some people. You can hunt closer to home. You don't have to drive all the way to the deer lease. You don't have to drive all the way to, you know, your normal hunting woods when you urban hunt. But, um, you know, find a place that's right outside of the city limits like we did and um, and network with uh, with some folks and get some permission and knock on a couple of doors and shake a few hands. It's not that hard. Um, I kind of started it all from scratch, my urban hunting experiences. But it's all about building those relationships and having good relationships with your landowners and neighboring landowners and uh, so on and so forth. So um, that's that's good. Yeah, clean up yourself. Take care of the, the person's property that you're hunting on. Uh, you know, present yourself as, as professional. Right. Be a good example not only to urban hunters, but hunters in general. Right. You know, because the stereotype is that hunters are a bunch of backwoods rednecks. Right. We all know that. It's nothing new. And you got to present yourself as, you know, I'm responsible, you know, especially if you're a younger guy. You know, a lot of lot of younger guys, you know, that are in their 20s like me, you know, somebody's going to, you know, you knock on somebody's door, they're going to look at you like, oh, man, this guy's trouble. He's here for trouble. <laughs> yeah, this guy's going to start shooting at everything and, you know, you just got to present yourself as professional, right? Clean up your, you know, clean up, you know, after season, clean up your blind, you know, clean up all your gear, you know, make it look like you weren't even there. Right. Uh, offer some work, you know, say, or, or even a, a thank you, uh, say, Hey, can I bring you over some deer burger right. or, or uh, some backstrap? You know, we all love our backstrap, but you know, if you want to hunt that place again next year, you know, it's, it's all right to give a little, you know, to get a little. Right. So. Be a sharecropper, you know, like the olden days where you farm the land and you keep a little and give a little to, to the landowner and, and payment. And, uh, you know, the place where Mike and I hunted this year was owned by an elderly lady and it was a very, very sweet lady. She allowed me, allowed me to come down there for five years, you know, up to this point and, um, and has been wonderful to, uh, to hunt around. Uh, she's not a hunter, but she encourages hunting because of the deer overpopulation in that particular neighborhood or behind that neighborhood. One thing that Mike and I both did was went through and cut some firewood and hauled some things and cleaned up her property a little bit in trade or in Thanksgiving for her giving us the opportunity to harvest deer. And, uh, you know, like I said, that resulted in me harvesting my biggest archery buck, you know, which was a big deal for me. But, you know, I, I can't say enough about, you know, giving back, giving thanks, writing a thank you note, uh, taking them some deer meat or offering their neighbors some deer meat or whatever the case may be, because you can make a lot of friends real quick with that kind of attitude. Yeah. And when you're in the, especially the urban hunting community, friends are are good. Yes, absolutely. The more friends you have on your side, because we'd have a couple of anti-hunters. I don't know if I ever told you this, Michael, maybe by text I did. Um, we had a couple of, oh, I did tell you this, yeah, you the, uh, we had some poachers that were nearby in that same neighborhood area and they um, were shooting deer with guns at night, you know, just unthinkable, you know, for people that are responsible urban hunters. And um, one of the uh, homeowners association folks um, called this landowner that we, whose property we hunted on. And she said, you know, it's awful that I can't believe they're hunting here. She was a total anti hunter. And she said, I have a very responsible young man and his friend come and hunt my property and they're welcome to here anytime. You know, she went to bat for me. She was in defense of me as a hunter. And my goodness, that made me feel so good. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have friends, uh, 
be responsible. I right. Mean, that's the thing, you know? Absolutely. Because uh, if you were an uh, irresponsible hunter, she would have said, yeah, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree with you. This guy's never going to come out here yeah. ever again. I'm not allowing him to come back on my land. So, and we've, we've done a lot of work. I've mowed lawns for her. I've, um, we've hauled firewood. We've cut down uh, tree limbs. I mean, all kinds of different stuff. But it's a barter and trade system, really, where you spend some of your time so you can get some of your time in the woods, you know, which is a very fair deal. Um, one of my landowners even um, even uh, planted some oats for me one year at another property that you weren't at, Michael. Um, but he liked having me so much, he made a food plot that brought in deer one year. And I was just amazed. I was so thankful for him. I brought my own feeder and everything else and set it all up there. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you're really nice and professional and respectful. And, you know, it shouldn't be said, but in today's society where a lot of people are just in it for themselves, you know, I think it needs to be said on this podcast that, you know, you, 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 you act nice and you treat people well, you'll get pretty far. Uh, in this world of, of urban hunting. So we kind of close this out. Uh, Grim Reaper broadheads, the particular uh, size that I use when I was using my wild, C5 Wildcat, it uh, is an inch and three quarters Grim Reaper broadheads, um, huge cut radius, and, and just an awesome, awesome recovery. Um, when I'm using my Buck Commander Extreme or BCX crossbow, I am using inch and a half crossbow broadheads or expo broadheads that they have from Grim Reaper. And uh, they work just as well as the inch and three quarters, quite frankly. They're just designed to work through a system that, that has a stronger spring on it. So as they open, they won't open midair in flight because so many crossbows are so fast these days, especially the BCX. You don't want to have them open in flight. But the nice thing about Grim Reapers is you don't have to worry about rubber bands or O-rings or any of that stuff. Right, Michael? Yeah. It's it's a joy because you just kind of I just test my blades before I put my um, bolt in the crossbow and um, make sure that everything I do the Father Son the Holy Spirit I do this little three three pronged um, thing to make sure all the blades and everything work snap them open snap them closed put them in the crossbow and I'm ready to hunt but um, we do that and then for bows like I said the two crossbows that I've used pretty heavily are the Barnett C5 Wildcat and the Buck Commander Extreme. And, um, both of them are very affordable. They're a whole lot cheaper than a lot of other crossbows in the market. I'm a fan of Barnett because they don't have the, um, you know, they have a really good crossbow at a really affordable price. You've had some experience hunting with Barnett, right? Yes. Yes. I, I really like that bow. It's really smooth, had a smooth trigger, uh, uh, the flight of the arrow is just perfect. Uh, I had no problems with that at all. Great, great, good, good, good. That's good. And it has a nice little scope on it. Um, that's nice. And the, um, the Wildcat C5, which is a good starter crossbow, um, has a red dot scope, which is a great, um, asset to you as well. Um, most of your shots are going to be under 30 yards and I'd recommend you limit your shots to under 30 yards when you just start urban bow hunting, just to make sure you make a clean and ethical kill. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, Michael? Uh, no, I just want to encourage. Uh, well, I guess I do. Uh, I just wanna, <laughs> <laughs> That's I, okay. I, I guess I, uh, uh, yeah, I just encourage everybody to get out there and, and try urban bow hunting. I know it, uh, uh, a lot of people out there frown upon it a little bit. You know, whether you be on the hunting side or the non-hunting side, uh, it, it it's a good cause. You know, you're not just helping yourself, but you're helping uh, a lot of people in that community. You know, whether it be from saving their car or saving their landscape or uh, filling your freezer i mean it, it's a you, you kill multiple birds with one stone uh also i'd like to just say that you know get out there and, and pick up a crossbow i mean a lot of people even if you're a, already a compound bow hunter uh just pick up a crossbow uh, you know or a gun hunter you know just pick one up and and, and shoot it whether it, 
I mean, it's it's just a good family weapon, you know, for your for your for your, it's fun. Yes. But it's a good family weapon for your 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 kids and and your wife and uh, and friends. You know, you might have a friend out there that might not know how to shoot a, uh, a compound bow, but if you have a crossbow on handy, you know, you can take them out there and, and, and show them the hunting and fishing world, you know. Right, right. And if you're a rifle hunter, crossbows are great because they work very similar to a rifle as far as the aiming and the, um, you know, the trigger and that kind of stuff uh, are very similar to rifles. And uh, I've turned you into a crossbow hunter, haven't I? Yeah, and I used to hunt with a compound. <laughs> So, uh, and there's nothing wrong with compound, but I'm going to hunt with my compound this season. But you know, with the ground blind, I just did not have a room to pull back because I'm such a tall guy in my ground blind. I didn't have enough room to pull back a compound bow and the crossbows are just, you know, they're great. They're efficient. They're awesome. And if you're a diehard uh, gun hunter, I mean, extend your deer season, right? Buy a crossbow and hunt during the archery season. Absolutely. Which is a month here in Texas before gun season even starts. So you extend your deer season by a month. Yeah. So. And that's that's one thing that I'm a big advocate of is is getting they legalized crossbows in Texas in 2009 and that's when I first bought mine and I've been addicted to doing it ever since because there are a lot of people call crossbows cheating or there's been uh, opponents against them but the cool thing is that um, you know it's it's easy point of entry for folks that have never shot archery before and it's a very efficient and effective way to to hunt deer yeah or any other wild game it's fun. It is. <laughs> I really like it. It is. So, um, well, thank you, sir. Really appreciate you taking some time to sit down in my studio today. Oh, thank you. It's always a joy to be here. All right. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Man, that was a fun interview. I really enjoyed having Michael in studio. He was my first in-studio guest with my new podcasting equipment. This is the first podcast with my new podcasting equipment, and I hope you're enjoying it. Um, I, I really have a lot of fun doing these podcasts. This is a dream come true for me. So again, you know, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Please tell a friend, please rate this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or FM player or however you found us. And, um, feel free to check out my ebook. Like I said, it's under 10 bucks. It's nine 95. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on, um, Google play. You can get it on uh, my website at dustinsprojects.com. I also have several of my urban bow hunts online that um, on YouTube that I talked about in the interview, and um, you can definitely check those out at my uh, YouTube channel, which you can find through my website at DustinsProjects.com, or just search YouTube for my name, Dustin Von Warnke, or Dustin Warnke, and you should come up with some, some urban bow hunting videos, several of them. In fact, all of them that I've recorded down there, I've produced into video form, and that's, I want to say, probably 10 hunts or so um, that I've hunted down in Brushy Creek and filmed, and this year I'm probably going to change things up and try a different uh, urban hotspot that's more of a rural setting, kind of like where Michael's hunting now. That's a good, you know, 5, 10 acre, 15 acre, um, you know, area that's urban and a little more rural and, um, and, and have some fun with my compound bow this year. And uh, I've just, I have a blast doing this and I have a blast doing the show. Um, I want to thank you so much for reading. If you read any of my articles or ebooks or blogs and um, thank you so much for watching our videos and uh, be sure to check out our Mac and Prowler website as well. It's M-A-C-A-N-D-P-R-O-W-L-E-R. And um, we've got a lot of videos there for predator hunting and small game hunting and fishing and bow fishing and, uh, of course, big game hunting as well. And uh, so I really want to thank you so much for taking the opportunity to download and listen to this show. Um, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And thank you so much again. Have an awesome day in the outdoors. Mm-hmm.